want to do tonight specifically is I want to talk to you about three major shifts that happened in my thinking and in my view of the gospel and of Jesus that are like the engine behind everything that you're seeing. Okay? If you if you were to, to just go to a church and look at the thing behind the thing behind the thing, why are they gathering? What do they believe they're supposed to be doing? Why are they worshiping? Like, what do they think is the story of planet Earth and human history? Where do they think it's all going? Like, what is the engine that is driving that church? What is it? Um, and you go to another church, you might discover a completely different idea. But the thing is, everything that you do, every time that you pray for a meal or not pray for a meal, every time that you like say the rosary or don't say the rosary, every time that you come to a charismatic meeting and say, shut on, on, like the reason you're doing those things, it's an outgrowing of something that's going on inside of here. It's not always in your head. Sometimes these beliefs are in your heart too. I kind of get bugged when people pit the head and the heart against each other. Because God made them both for him, right? All things were made for him. There are beliefs that you can hold deep, deep, deep in your heart, right? The Bible says a fool says in his heart there is no God, right? So that's not a mental ascension. That's not a, I looked at all, they may say this, but that's not a, I looked at all the evidence and I decided there is no God. There's something going on under the surface that is leading their mind in that direction, so what I want to look at today are two engines. And I want to talk about the shifts that happened in my thinking, the new engine. So, I got this cool whiteboard. Okay. This is this is the garden. <laughs> that's the worst tree and mountains you've ever seen in your life. But that's what that represents, okay? This this is the Titanic. And it's on fire. Alright, I want to talk to you about the two main engines that I see going on in the church right now. I want to talk to you first about the what I call Titanic Christianity, or the Titanic Gospel. All of us have kind of heard a version of the Gospel that goes something like this. Um, we're, we're sinners. We're very dirty and bad. God is angry with us, and therefore God being just has to punish sin, and so, uh, because of that, everybody is going to hell. Um, but Jesus was sent to satisfy the wrath of God, to lift that punishment off of us. So if we trust in him, uh, we can be with him forever in heaven. Does that sound fair? I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to paint a caricature, but that kind of, like if you honestly ask people what's going on, that's what they'll say. That's something like that. Okay. I have a few issues with some of that. For the one part... What it kind of does is it puts all of the action out there somewhere. Heaven is the good place. Earth is due for a wrath storm. God's going to burn everything. Everything's going to be destroyed. And so we have got to get out of here and go somewhere else called heaven. That's where God lives, away from the sinners. And if we can just get to that place, uh, then we'll be okay. Okay, the problem with that is, A... It creates a deep sense of urgency. It creates a sense that this place either A, doesn't matter, or at worst is evil and needs to be escaped. So when that is your engine, every day becomes a, I should have done more. 
I should have prayed for that guy. Man, I, oh, I missed it. Like, he might get hit by a semi-truck and go to hell tonight. Like, you never, like, if there's never enough you can do because the onus is on you. The other problem, I'm sorry if this is offensive to you, but what it really comes down to is sin is not the real problem. What you really need to be saved from is God. <laughs> now, he provides you with a window, but... Ultimately, he's the one that's against you. He's the one that's your enemy. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Like, I know it's almost, it's hard to even talk about this. Like, I can feel the almost tenseness because we're so used to hearing that this is the only way to see things. But I'm telling you, there's not. There's better news. The other problem is, <clears throat> when you believe that everything's going to burn, there's a limited window of time, everybody is destined for hell automatically, and God is coming, and he is after you. The other problem with that is, is it puts a focus on numbers. The top goal of somebody who's doing evangelism from this engine is to get people saved. It's to save souls. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, to, it's, it, it's kind of that idea... and. Hopefully most people don't think this. I, I don't think they do. But you kind of get to that idea. It's like, if you just say this prayer, man, if you just say this prayer, you'll be safe. And then they're kind of like, see ya. And so the idea of evangelism is like, I've actually seen this happen where people will just go and they'll see somebody who's struggling, who's going through it. And they're like, dude, just say the prayer, man. Just say the prayer. Like, seriously, say the prayer. Okay, you said the prayer. Fill out this card. And then they'll give like a stack of 40 cards to their pastor and their pastor will be like, 40 people got saved this week. It's like, is that what that is? It's because the for them, like the, the idea of salvation is this thing is on fire. And you've got to get out of here. And we need to get as many people off. How many of you have been to those kinds of meetings where you feel that kind of like urgency? Every prayer is just like, we've got to get revival. We've got to do something. We've got to cry out. Because if we don't, if we don't, that's the problem right there. It's not about you and your evangelistic campaigns and your efforts and your, um, you know, your fervor. That's going to go up and down. This is life. Like you're going to have days where you feel on fire. You're going to have days where you probably don't. You're going to have days where you have the time to go out and pray for you. You're going to have time where you are stuck at home raising babies and changing diapers. But the problem is this makes you feel guilty for that. The problem is this puts the goal, the real action and God himself out there somewhere. So every moment that you're not catering to that machine, you feel like you're doing something wrong. Every time you're mowing the lawn, that doesn't matter. This lawn's going to burn. Every, t You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. Now, I know I'm exaggerating a bit, but you know that feeling of like, I could be doing more for Jesus right now, and I'm not. This kind of sets up the prophetic as being about calling out sin. Because your main goal is to get all the sin out. Of people and out of this world. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, you, you're, you see what's wrong because if your premise starts with we're all sinners, okay. then everything is messed up. It's hard to look at anything with beauty. I, I remember being so confused because I was told that every single human being is just born like completely, thoroughly, fully evil. I remember like looking at my little cousin playing. <laughs> And I'm just like, God hates her? He's angry with her? Like, she, they're like, well, we all sinned, so she deserves hell. I'm like, really? 
She deserves eternal conscious damnation. Come on, there's got to be something else going on here. And the real problem, there are two big problems. The number one is, if you really boil this gospel down, the word gospel means good news, but what this is, is bad news. Jesus didn't say, go therefore and preach the urgent warning. Do you know what I'm saying? That That is now, for me, a real telltale sign. Is if somebody can have all the Bible verses in the world in the world, stacked in their favor. They can, they, I can do that. I can actually prove this point for you. I can walk you through scriptures that says God hates and all of this stuff. I can do that. But is that right? Is that really true? Is that really the undergirding foundation that the gospel is set on? I don't think so. So if you're hearing somebody preach and it sounds like, feels like, urgent warning, get out of planet Earth, I would wager that that is not the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, you want to talk about sound doctrine. <laughs> There's a verse in 1 Timothy where Paul is talking about doing everything according to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is according to the good news of the glory of the blessed God. If we break that down, it's Everything that is sound is according to the gospel, which is good news, of the glory. We all know what the glory is. We all know glory. And then of the blessed God. But if you look at that word blessed, and you look at it in Greek, it's the word makario, which means happy. You realize there are people with that mindset who are oftentimes working to make sure that even the verses that say that God is happy sound a bit, little bit more religious. Do you know what I mean? Right. So it actually says, according, sound doctrine is whatever is according to the God who is happy. He's pleased. So, if it sounds like urgent warning, if it sounds like you're not doing enough, if it sounds like we've got to get out of here, if it sounds like, you know that song, um, Some Glad Morning, When This Life Is Over, I'll Fly Away. That... The other thing is, if it turns planet Earth into the waiting room. <laughs> yeah, we're a prison. If it sounds like the waiting room, which is also on fire because you got to get out. <laughs> I don't think that you're dealing with Paul's gospel. I love Jesus. I adore Jesus. Every moment of my life, I want to spend enjoying Jesus, and what this does is reduce Jesus to the life raft. Do you understand? He's so much more than your ticket to heaven. He is heaven. He is the reason. He's not saving you from something merely. He is saving you to, unto himself so that you can know him. Now, that is not to say that people who believe that don't know Jesus. Because remember, that guy that I told you who is preaching God hates you, I know somewhere in there, that man really, really loves Jesus. I know he does. But somebody's got to call that out. Somebody has got to stand up here and say, yeah, that's not, that's not cool. 
That's not Jesus. But now you're like, well, can you prove it? Can you, can you give me something else? What's the good news? Anybody want to hear some good news? Cool. All right. This is what I'm going to call garden Christianity. Let's just start from the very, very, very beginning, okay? In the beginning. If you were to look at this phrase in Hebrew, I wish I could say it out for you. It has seven words, okay? Just make a note of that. So, what also you can't see in Hebrew, and what's also a theme all throughout the Old Testament, is when God is building planet Earth, he's creating a house. So let me show you something cool here. On the first day, God creates the day and the night. On the second day, he creates the sea and the sky. On the third day, he creates the land and the vegetation, which I'm just going to abbreviate. <laughs> All right, so you have those right there, first three days, right? What's kind of hard to see is it's like he's taking bricks and he's building a house. It's Then he fills the day and night with the sun and moon. Then he makes the birds and fish. And then he makes man and the animals. Okay. You guys follow me? So what he's doing, there's scriptures that talk about, um, like Job and the Psalms, they talk about how God stretched out curtains and he, and he built the foundation. He put a roof on it. Like it's, it's describing the building of a house in Hebrew. All those word pictures are there. But what you can't see is everything that he makes on one day has a correlation to another day. So he makes the day and night, he makes the sea and sky, he makes the land and vegetation. So think of those as spaces, right? He creates a space or a realm, and then he fills it with something to rule it. So the day and night space he fills with sun and moon. That's time. The sea and sky he fills with birds and fish. It says to rule over the seas and the land. You're like, to rule, huh? That's pretty cool. Kingfish, I guess. And then uh, the land and the vegetation, it says, is ruled by man and the animals, right? So this is the natural realm. But on the seventh day, remember, number seven, on the seventh day, God becomes the roof. It says, check, this is so cool. You'll see it in a minute. He says, says God saw that the work was finished. And on the seventh day, God rested. So on that seventh day, the presence of God began to fill creation. And we have the Sabbath, or the last day of creation, right? So God builds a house. He puts man here. He, everything in creation becomes a house for God to live in, for his presence to live in. That's a little bit of a different story than this. Because according to this, God lives out there. God lives somewhere else. He's And there's two separate worlds. There's the spiritual and there's the natural. But right here in the book of Genesis, you see that it was all meant to be one created whole. Okay, well, sin, sin gets introduced. We all know that. So sin is about two things. It's about death and it's about disruption. So this whole thing, he creates us to rule it, and there's something that the Bible calls shalom. You guys heard that word? It means like total, complete peace in every area, in every way imaginable. There's this holy sense about everything. Everything everything that Adam and Eve do um, is all part of contributing to this shalom, right? 
And so sin, what that does is it's a breach of that. God creates life that creates life that creates life. So when Cain murders, he's disrupting that. He's causing a break in relationship. He's causing a disturbance of shalom. Now this will tell you that your starting point is you're thoroughly evil and to the core. That's kind of hard to convince somebody of on the street. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you have to really kind of work at that. Like most people are doing the best they can. Do you know what I mean? So to go up to them and starting with, you're a sinner. You're messed up. Man, you've just done so much evil. You deserve hell. People are like, what? (laughs) Get out of here. But if you're starting with, hey, God made this amazing earth and everything in it is good and there's this sense of shalom and we get to participate in it and it's good. Oh, but then all of us have kind of participated in this disruption, haven't we? We've all like taken some for ourselves. We've all done selfish things, right? Like we've all lied. We've all kind of found ourselves like knowing what is good, but then kind of going against it, right? Have you ever wondered what that's about? You see, that kind of makes more sense to people. Yeah. All right. Now, here's what I want to say about man really quick. When God puts man in the garden, he gives them um, the command to be fruitful and multiply. We know that one. Um, But he also says, I want you to till and to keep. Okay? So those words are avoda and shamar. Can you say that? Avoda and shamar. Okay? Those two words appear together only one other time. And it's what we're going to get into. It's when they built the tabernacle and he ordained the priests. He told the priests, I want you to tend and keep or avoda and shamar. And so not only is this thing right here just a house, it's also a temple. Planet Earth, the universe, the cosmos is not just a house to live in with God, but it is actually a temple to worship him and experience him through. Come on, that's good. Over here with Titanic Christianity, you get a splitting where this place is somewhere that God isn't and out there is where he is. And we need to, uh, nothing that we're doing here really has anything to do with worship or with the temple or anything like that. Out there is where the action is. So the only thing we can do is worship and just kind of shoot our praise out there. You know what I mean? But with, with the garden, with this, if, if, all of creation and birds and flowers and pine trees and unicorns, not unicorns, and bubbles, like all the things that are just natural, if all of that is part of God's house and his temple, and he gave us the task to work, which is to till, which is to take care of the resources of the earth, that's earth, and to um, to keep, which is a worship word. That means that we are both kings, And we're priests. And so in everything that we do on planet Earth has the potential to be worship to him. (laughs) Does that make sense? Everything. Mowing your lawn. Arranging your furniture. Baking a pie for your neighbor. Like literally all of it. If you do that with that original vision of God in mind is worship. It's all spiritual. It is all good. It is all from him. Okay? That's really important to know because we happen to really screw that up. Doesn't that sound fun? It does sound fun. Yeah. <laughs> sound like, dude, I want to live on that planet. That sounds amazing. Okay? Then, then we screw things up. Thankfully, God had a plan, though. Am I right? And now, I promise this is all going to start to click for you in a minute. Okay? God had a plan. In Exodus, 
they built the tabernacle. That's what this is. <laughs> Promise, I'm actually a decent artist, but when you're in a hurry, who cares, right? He, he told them to build a tabernacle. Now, I started writing down these sevens because I wanted you to catch something. When you read the book of Exodus, the book of the law, God gives the priests seven commands of seven for how to build this house. So in Jewish culture, when they read that kind of thing, it, it actually sticks in their mind like a light on the dashboard. They go, oh, 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 the number seven. There's seven. So what that tells us is whatever has to do with the number seven has to do with creation. If it has to do with creation, it has to do with everything. Do you know what I'm saying? So whatever was going on with this temple, which we're about to see in a minute, this wasn't just about a box for God to live in, but God was actually prophesying and saying something about everything, about the temple. Do you know what I'm saying? So uh, he gives them seven commands of seven. And this is what Moses actually says. I love this. It says he saw that the work was finished. You say finished? Finished. Okay. So when God created the first temple, heaven and earth and sky and sea and land and creatures and, and you and babies, he said it is finished because his presence rested in it, right? It's good. It's done. Okay. Now we're building a new temple here, which is a prophetic temple. And he says, Moses says, when he saw that they fulfilled the commands of seven of seven, he says, it's finished. The work is finished. Then God has them do something really, really cool and interesting. Um, he makes them wait seven days. So they did all the sevens of sevens. They did all the commands. They have the temple. It's all built. It's all set up. They got it out of Ikea box and set it the door and they screwed it all together. There it is. There's the temple. This is going to be the tent of meeting. And then before they do anything, he says the priests need to wait seven days. And on the eighth day, now we're going to get into eights. God's presence fills the temple. So you can think of it like this. The original week of creation, sin and death got in the way. So God says, we're going to start over. Now I'm going to make myself a nation of kings and priests, you know, who are tasked with heaven and earth. And we're going to build a new temple. Okay. And then he has them wait seven days. And on the eighth day, he fills it with his presence. Sabbath rest. He's there. He fills it. And so you could say it like this. The first day of the temple being filled, it's almost like the first day of a new creation. See what I'm saying? So there's seven days, and then on the first day of new creation, God fills the temple. Now, it's, what you got to know about uh, the Old Testament is Paul says it's full of types and shadows. Because we know the work wasn't actually done there. Do you know what I'm saying? But prophetically, God was saying something is happening. I'm doing something here. I have a plan and I'm taking you somewhere. Yeah. Now, this is where it starts to get really fun, okay? In the Bible, in the book of John. I'll, I'll just draw a little picture of John. There's John. He's got a funny hat. Okay, so all the other Gospels, they're talking about miracles. They're like, Jesus did this and then he did this and then he did this and then he did this. But John, for some reason, only does seven signs. And he actually numbers the first few, like... Um, Jesus turns the water into wine, and this was the first sign, right? Yeah. If you actually count it out, there's seven signs, okay? So John, being a good Jew, knows exactly what he's doing when he makes sure that you pay attention to the number seven. He's saying, hey, pay attention here, because what Jesus is about to do 
is not just about you and saving your soul and all of that stuff. What Jesus is about to do has to do with everything. Do you see what I'm saying? So John records the seventh sign, but get this. Jesus raising to life again as the new Adam is the eighth sign. So this was prophesying that someday there's going to be a new creation where we're restored to our role as kings and as priests and the world will be the temple of God once again. But it wasn't until Jesus Christ came in the flesh and actually actualized that prophecy and brought it to life when he raised to life as the eighth sign, uh, <laughs> the earth was once again filled with his glory. The temple veil ripped. God is, and, and this is what Jesus said. He said, it is finished. It's a brand new day. It's the first day of the new week. It's a new creation. He's done the work. Like we're not living in the old anymore. We're not living in the sin sick like distorted world anymore. We're living in the midst of a brand new world right here and now. Is that making sense to you? Good, 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 good. Here's what also is really funny. is for Jews, um, the Sabbath was on Saturday, right? So the Sabbath was the last day of the week. Jesus comes to life on a Sunday, which is the first day of the next week, right? So he's starting a whole new week of creation, right? He's saying this Everything he did was pointing to this is a new creation. There's so much more in there, too. Not only that, but have you ever noticed, it says in, in John, in the account, it says, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. <laughs> so Jesus was crucified and raised to life in a garden. John's not just throwing that detail in there for no reason. He's hoping that you hear garden, 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 everything, oh, the whole creation. And then it, it, he just makes it even more funny, like he's like really laying it on thick. It's, it says that Jesus appeared to Mary as a gardener. You know what I'm saying? He's like, are you seeing what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I've rescued everything. And not only that, there's so many parallels here, but it's so amazing. When, when he gathers his disciples, he does something really interesting. And I never really understood this because the Holy Spirit comes in, Pe in Pentecost, right? But for whatever reason, it says Jesus breathed on them. The, that specific word for breathe only appears in one other place. It's when God breathes life into Adam. So what am I getting at here? With Titanic Christianity, everything is about escaping. Everything is on fire. You've got to do your best to win people over or else. In Garden Christianity, there is a new creation, and it's happening right here and right now, and it's spreading left and right. Like, like yeah, the old creation, we see the remnants of that, but Jesus has totally and finally destroyed sin on the cross. Remember this death and this disruption. First of all, it says this, that Jesus died our death. If we went into the ground with him, we came out into new life, right? So, so death was the thing that was trying to kill us. Death is what was after. Not the Father. The Father didn't say, when you sin, I'm going to kill you, right? He said, if you do that, you will introduce death. You will die. So death becomes the thing that holds sway over humanity. But Jesus goes into our death 
and dies the death that we should have died. And he removes the legal claim of death over us and raises us to life. So anyone who joins themselves to Jesus, death has lost all of its power. Like, like you don't have to wait for heaven someday. Like it's here and it's now. His kingdom is spreading. And then he says, he says to his disciples, well, first there's all these promises. He says, God says, I'm going to make a, a nation of kings and of priests. And then Peter says, you are that. If you are the church, not only are you the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. You are that community. You are the new Jerusalem, heaven on earth community. <laughs> and so this is where things get exciting is when when you uh, when you hear that, all of you, there's something inside of you that goes, yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Now, I know, like, I'm kind of maybe stumbling through it a little bit, but I feel it too. Like, I feel the glory on that. When you hear me talk about this, there's something inside of you that goes, oh, yeah, like, uh, I've been told I have to believe that, so I guess I'm going to buy into that. But it feels like nails on a chalkboard for a reason, because that is not good news. That is a dire warning. Okay, this is good news because it means that God actually cares about you and he cares about your job and everything that you do. It's not about going somewhere else. It's about God has brought this somewhere else here. Because do you understand that throughout the entire Bible, the Israelites are struggling not to worship the gods that they once knew. And every single one of those gods, their thing was they're too good for you. They want to be out in the heavens somewhere and they're mean and they're nasty and they want you to sacrifice sacrifice something to get their attention but God our God Yahweh is the only God who actually wants to be with humans right where they are who's not actually trying to get you to to just do the right spiritual things but like for him just to be with you while you be a good dad or a good wife or while you're working your job at the video store or whatever like he's with you he wants to be in it and he wants to take the disruption out of it the other major thing Jesus did is it says he reconciled us to the Father, right? Have you ever been in a fight with your spouse or like a really good friend, right? Yeah. Okay, how many of you guys know sometimes you might be completely right, but the only way to fix the situation is not to come in and talk about how right you are, but it's to go low and make the first move and say, I, I want to connect. Like, I know, that, I know that there's something going on. I know that we're fighting about this, but I want to connect with you. Can we make this right? How can we get past this? That's what, that's what being a good husband is all about, right? It's going low and making that first move, even if you're totally right in the argument. You know what I'm saying? This only happened a handful of times for me, but... <laughs> My point is, we were the ones that created all this chaos. We are the ones who... Who, who, we were the ones who ran and hide when God came walking in the cool of the day. We were the ones that ran away from him. We were the ones that set ourselves as his enemies. But he's the one that went low, even though he was totally in the right. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were lost in the far country, he came wandering for us. So he took away that breach. And when we are reconciled to him, no longer are we living in the old creation for it has passed away, but we have found ourselves in the new with the father that we have always wanted in the temple of his good planet Earth. And so that kind of changes some things, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? 
Peter says this really interesting line. He says, until the time of the restoration of all things. That's really important because he says all whole things, doesn't he? He doesn't say the destruction of all things. Now, there are verses about fire. But if you keep in mind that God's end goal is always to restore, then yeah, every shadow of the old creation will be burned away. Every last bit of influence that death had, every bad tree, every outgrowing of death will be burned away. And what we will have left is still this planet. In a sense, the world has ended. You know what I mean? In a sense, there is an end of the world coming. The end of the world that we always thought we were living in. But one day it's going to go up in a blaze of glory and we're going to see it as he's always seen it. His original true vision for mankind is that we would be with him. This kind of Christianity, it makes natural life sort of this evil or, or just a waste of time, basically. Because we're in the waiting room. We're just trying to get people out of here. We're in the waiting room. And once we get to heaven, we'll, either we're going to float along in clouds or you know we're going to build like super sand castles and have babies on Mars or whatever. I don't know. It's like, what do you do in that heaven? I don't know. But when you understand that, no, 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 God's salvation is about saving the very planet that he said is good. Think about this. If God was just going to torch everything in the way that we've been taught that he's going to torch everything, why would creation be groaning for the sons of man to, to understand? If it means death and the end for them, no, they're happy because once we get it, once we understand, once the gospel comes alive inside of us, we can actually get back to a place where we're ruling this thing properly. And that's really good news for creation. It's good news for creation. So, why why did I bring all of that up? <laughs> you may be like, well, I thought it was a school of evangelism. Because both, both types of people might do very similar things. We might pray for the sick. We might... Uh, we might share the gospel with somebody. We might invite them into a prayer or an encounter with Jesus. We might go to church. We might even pray for revival. I don't know. But the point is, if this is your engine, you're going to burn out. You're never going to be able to do enough. And you're going to live with a twisted view of God. But if this is your engine, listen, every day is a pleasure to be alive. Do you see what I'm saying? Because even when you're not out there doing the thing, even when you're not out there actively evangelizing, you could be washing your dishes and you're still worshiping and that releases a fragrance of presence and people see that. Like even your ordinary conversations with people about you know football will have this fragrance on them because you see it all as part of God's good earth. Do you know what I'm saying? People are attracted to that. When you do this, you have to sell Jesus to people. You have to be a salesman. Like you have to really like lay it on thick. Like two for one deal, three for one deal. He's got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right now for one measly prayer. You can have it all, right? No, like you have to shove it on people. But in this kind of thing. You, man, there's not a day where you're out of the glory. And everybody wants in. I've had times where I've been sitting with my friends at restaurants and people come in and they're just like, what is it about you guys? Can you tell me what is it? What they're feeling is they're around a company of people who have had the disruption repaired and they're living back in shalom. 
<laughs> and they can feel that, the presence of Jesus, you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, I believe in sharing the gospel. I believe in reaching out your hands to pray for the sick and, and, and reach out to the lost. I believe in all that stuff, but I also believe that there comes a point where everything you do is sort of evangelization because your life is just dripping with the good news. Does that make sense? Let's, somebody say Amen. amen. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the House of Bliss podcast. Hey, if you'd like to support this ministry, it is super easy to do it. All you need to do is click the link in the description of this episode and go to our Patreon page. Sign up there for as little as a dollar a month. You can not only support us, but you can get access to all kinds of super cool behind-the-scenes benefits. Thanks so much for considering it, and God bless.